Good morning. How are y'all? You know, they've gone, I've been watching a lot of baseball, and I just got to thinking, they went real deep in the bullpen to pull the drummer to preach. So, uh, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but uh, I'm here. So, last time I preached was our first day back uh, from the COVID shutdown, and we had, like, green tape everywhere, and we, like, herded you around, like, where to go, and uh, it's a lot different now, and praise God for all of that. Uh, much better atmosphere, just uh, awesome uh, we've been through a lot as a church family, and so is the whole country, but uh, here we are today, and so I'm happy to get to share with you today and to continue in the book of Acts. So we're going to be in Acts 15 today. Uh, Pastor Charlie and Pastor Jared are soaking up the sun. They're enjoying the Florida weather, uh, the beach, uh, and probably uh, long nights with the kids. Uh, so I guess uh, you can call it ministry, but I'm sure they're having a ton of fun. So um, uh, they'll be back uh, tomorrow, so just pray for them. But um, as we've been moving through the book of Acts, we've covered just about every verse uh, up until this point, and today we're going to be in Acts 15, verses 1 through 35, um, and we're going to be talking about grace through faith, grace through faith. And this is uh, really what a lot of our theological doctrines and everything are kind of built on is, is grace through faith. And so this is a very, very important discussion that takes place. So Paul and Barnabas, uh, they're, they're gone on a missionary journey. Uh, their first missionary journey, they come back. Uh, and this is kind of the in-between time. And this is where, they, where we are in the timeline of events um, between the two missionary journeys. Uh, and they come back to a little bit of opposition. And they've, they've suffered a lot of opposition uh, up to this point. Um, mainly it's been through uh, those that oppose uh, Christianity, but this time they're facing opposition within the church. And so it's probably real tough for them to come back w wanting to hear, uh, share exactly what was going on and, and hear like, um, you know, just just uh, kind of a celebrate what God's been doing, but they face opposition kind of right away. And, and this is what we're going to talk about today. It's called the Jerusalem Council. And so uh, one thing that um, I think I've noticed and picked up on over the years is that as Christians today, we have two types uh, of Christians in our Christian culture. Uh, one seems to fight and argue over all kinds of things, um, and the other seems to not want to argue over anything, even the really important things. And it seems like there's a, uh, an extreme one way or the other. Um, and so the, the things that we like to argue over that don't really matter are things like the color of the carpet, the location of the piano, uh, whether we should have drums in the worship service. I kind of like them uh, personally, uh, but uh, th little things like that that have no bearing on our salvation, have no bearing on where we go uh, when we die and when we pass along from this world. Uh, but then there's other folks um, uh, that don't like to argue at all, and, and that can get us in a lot of trouble. And so you've got to find kind of a middle ground there. Some Christians are becoming more and more tolerant about theological issues. So we have one group that fights while the other group won't stand up for anything. And the problem with both is that we're driving folks away from the church. Uh, we are allowing our faith to be influenced too heavily by our culture. And that's what we see today. And so this, this whole idea of what we're going to talk about relates directly to uh, our church in today's culture as well. So Acts 15 shows us that there are times that require some pretty serious theological debate. And Paul was not one to hedge on what really mattered, and we're going to see that uh, today. And so the, here they are between the two missionary journeys, and the issue about salvation and how do you get saved had to be solved. They had to figure this out as where they were going to go, the direction that we were going to go with a New Testament church, what was salvation going to look like, and was Jesus enough? And that's exactly what we're going to talk about um, today. 
to oversimplify everything uh, that I just said, we should go, always go to battle when the gospel is at stake. And the argument that Paul makes is basically how a person gets saved really does matter. So before we get into the main text in Acts, I wanted to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4. And this is really just a simplified, uh, a very simply, uh, simple example uh, to explain the gospel. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so this is the message of the gospel in a a very simple form, that Christ died, he was buried for three days, and he rose again. And that's, that's the whole gospel in just a snapshot. And we should be prepared to defend and to contend for this message. So anything added or taken away from this message is going to be unnecessary. And if we lose the gospel, we lose everything. And so it's of utmost importance to our faith to understand what the gospel is and what it is not. So as we stand up for our faith, it's also uh, good to remember that we should do it with respect, we should do it with love, but we should do it uh, with boldness as well. So let me pray before we get into our, uh, into our text, and then we will go from there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you so much for Jesus, and I thank you so much for the message of, gospel, of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that as we look at Paul and Barnabas and James and Peter and those that have stood up for your, um, for your message uh, many, 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 many years ago, Father, that you would teach us some things through your word. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged from what we hear today, and Lord, that you would change us through the reading of your word today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, the first thing that we're going to see is that grace, grace was disputed. Verses 1 through 5, grace was disputed among Christian leaders. So, uh, just to read those first five verses, Acts 15, verses 1 through 5, it says this. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension... And debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing detail of the conversation of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they all declared, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So here we are with Paul and Barnabas. They get kind of come back from their missionary journey. Uh, they get a little bit of opposition. Uh, they had a long journey of planting new churches, seeing new believers come to Christ, seeing churches grow, and, and they're encouraging, and, um, and, and, and a lot of hardships on the way as well. Um, they were preaching the message that Jesus offered, um, saving faith uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection. But, um, but uh, they ran into opposition from fellow believers. And many Christians, uh, especially the Jewish Christians, they didn't like the Gentile movement, the momentum that was happening. They didn't like what was going on. It was different. It wasn't something they were used to. So they thought a Gentile should become a Jew. So again, I had this order of how things should work. That a Gentile first becomes a Jew, and then they can become a Christian. And a lot of red tape that they had to go through uh, to become a Christian. And this is just kind of where their mindset was at the time. Uh, And essentially, their view of salvation, it was conditional. 
It was very conditional, and it had unnecessary rules. And just uh, if you know anything about uh, the Jewish tradition and faith, there's all kinds of rules, and we see that through the Old Testament, where, where God gave one rule, they would multiply that out by hundreds more. Um, and, and that's just kind of what they're used to. That's the culture that they lived in. And we see that they tried to do the same in Christianity. Many of these conservative Jewish Christians made circumcision a condition for salvation. And these former Jews, they lived with a sort of two-layer idea of faith. So there were these, there were these leaders, Christian uh, Jewish leaders, uh, that were kind of on the, on the up and up, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, those that were most holy. And then everyone else was kind of on the outskirts. And so were they used to this kind of two-tiered approach to what faith looks like, what religion looks like, and they were trying to bring that into this new Christianity, bring this logic into their Christian lives. However, we see in, in Galatians 3, verse 28, Paul writes to the church, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then again in Romans, uh, kind of the same type of thing, Romans 10, verse 12, he says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And praise God that that's how it works, right? Because I don't, uh, most of us in here uh, wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be called a Christian if it wasn't for allowing Gentiles to come to faith uh, through Christ, through his grace. And so this is one of the overarching themes of the book of Acts is that there's no second class uh, citizenship in the kingdom of God. Um, Paul addresses this claim in the book. And Paul's really, really strong about his language and about how he feels about uh, the the um, uh, about how everyone should be treated in, in the kingdom of God in the church, uh, and he and he says in Galatians five twelve, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So I'm not going to go into detail what that means, but I will tell you that what he really wanted uh, and what how he really felt was that these issues about adding to the gospel was so important to him, so important that he almost felt like. Uh, they, could, they should be cut off from the kingdom of God because of the damage they were doing to the gospel. They were preaching another gospel. They were preaching something that was confusing, that was conflicting, and it was really causing a lot of dissension and chaos kind of in the church and, and how they believed and what, what were they supposed to believe. And so uh, Paul felt very strongly about this in many of his letters in the, in the New Testament. So they were adding to the gospel, and that was unacceptable. Paul was asking the question, is a person justified and saved by faith alone, or is it faith plus something else? And so we can beat up these Messianic Jews, uh, or we can try to understand kind of where their minds are, uh, where they were at the time, how did they live life. And um, the problem, uh, or, or what we need to understand, is that the first Christians were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The Old Covenant people were Jewish. Christianity was a mess Messianic movement that was foretold in the Old Testament. So all of these ideas that they're coming into uh, Christianity with uh, is a part of their life. It's ingrained in their culture. It's who they are. It's what they believe. It's what they do. And so this is exactly what they're going into Christianity with that same kind of mindset. And things are kind of flipped on their heads when Jesus, uh, when Jesus came. So the Jews always demanded that a Gentile con uh, converts be circumcised to adhere to the rituals uh, and adhere to the rituals of the Torah in order to be accepted in the community, and Jesus is saying, no, that's not necessary. It's um, grace uh, through faith, grace alone uh, through faith. So it almost sounds like the church can be today. You know, we do things 
Sometimes we do things just because that's the way it's always been done, right? And that's what we're comfortable with. That's what we're used to. That's how it was done, you know, when I was a kid, and that's how it should be done uh, when I'm an adult. And there's no changing that needs to happen because it was good enough 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It should be good enough for today, right? And so this is kind of the, the mindset that these, uh, these new Christians are going into their faith with, is that everything's been, been working so far, so why change it? And so it can be very, very difficult to accept and recognize the difference in our preference and the truth of Scripture. And so it's okay to have preferences. It's okay to, to feel a certain way, but it's also not okay to put those preferences above what Scripture says, above what Jesus teaches, above you know, what, how we're supposed to live in God's kingdom. And so the truth that these Jewish Christians needed to see and what we need to see here is that the incarnation of Christ, with the incarnation of Christ, everything changes. He changed the whole way uh, that we come to, come to God. He changed the way um, that we were to live our lives. And he made a way for us to have a personal relationship with the Creator God. So if we really look at the Big C Church today, we see that many people fall into this same trap, that salvation by grace alone... Um, Uh, is not really what's taught sometimes. It's not really what's accepted. Oftentimes, it's a Jesus plus something else kind of gospel. It's a Jesus plus baptism is required for salvation. It's a Jesus uh, plus church attendance, plus quiet times, plus giving, plus whatever you want to fill in the blank with. I had uh, Tommy Burst in the first service gave me a list of 19 things that he listed. So I'm not sure if he heard any of the sermon, but he did write 19 things about things that we try to add to the gospel and what's necessary in the gospel, and then he flipped the paper over and he said, no, it's, it's grace, grace through faith alone. And so uh, it was just really cool to see how there are all kinds of things that you may be able to list in your life that you feel very strongly about. And all those are good things. They're all really good things, but what we're talking about today is what is needed for salvation. So um, I've, I've heard it said like this, uh, that the gospel math Uh, works like this, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I believe that the truth of the gospel, it's always going to be disputed. It's something, uh, it's a default mode for the human heart, is works-based righteousness. Easy for you to say, works-based righteousness. So it's like we we automatically go into this mode that uh, we've got to do good to earn good, right? We've got to do these things. Not that we shouldn't do good, um, not that, but those good things are never going to save us. And in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says this, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And that last part, that last verse, verse 9, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not about us, it's not about what we can do, it's not about all the good things that we can accomplish. Now, should we do good things? Obviously we should. When we, when we have that relationship with Christ, when we follow his teachings, and when we follow what God tells us, how God tells us to live, all of those things will fall in place. But the truth is, those good things are not what saves us. Those good things are a representation of how God is changing us in our life. So we need to rejoice in the grace of God, because I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can uh, say. There's, there's no... A number of times that we can attend church and there's no dollar amount that we can give that's going to allow us a ticket to heaven. And that's just not how it works. So rejoice in the grace of God 
And salvation by grace through faith, that's important to understand that that distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. So we should embrace it, we should understand it, and we should defend it. So we see that grace was disputed in verses 1 through 5, and then we see that grace is defended. Grace is defended. So we've seen fellow, uh, we have seen how fellow Christians in the church are questioning the Gentiles and how they come, came to faith because of a lack of understanding. And maybe it's because there's too much culture that has crept into their faith. And now we're going to look at Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James, and they're going to defend their beliefs on how a person is saved through grace by faith in Jesus Christ. Alone. So this is a longer passage, verses 6 through 21, but I, I think the whole thing is important, so we're going we're gonna to read it. Uh, Acts 15, uh, verse 6 through 21. So the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of, disciples, of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? And this is the key verse, verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. Verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul, and they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And this is a quote from Amos. After this, I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and, that, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Verse 19, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them and abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So that's a lot to take in. It's a lot of verses. But we see now that the apostles and the elders, these Christian leaders at the time, they were gathered together. They were to discuss this issue of salvation and how does it really happen and what is required, what's necessary for salvation. And it's extremely important to note that the final decision that they came to at the end of this chapter uh, wasn't uh, through some new revelation. It wasn't some uh, new prophet that stood up and said, this is what God told me in a dream or in a secret. Uh, what they did is they looked back through Scripture and they saw exactly uh, what, how God had spoken to them in the past and allowed that to lead them in the future. And that's very important for how we are to look at Scripture today, how we are to live our lives. That's why being in God's Word is so important to us because it's how God speaks to us. That we, we interpret Scripture through Scripture. And when we're not sure what something means, we go, we go to another passage that talks about the same thing. And, and uh, it's just the way that God speaks to us. He speaks to us um, through other passages to be able to explain uh, so that we can move forward in the future. And that's exactly what they did here. So the solution came through careful reasoning and studying based on teaching from Scripture. 
So first up was Peter. He talked about his experience, and uh, then uh, Paul and Barnabas, and then last was James. So Peter's defense, Peter reminded the church that it was never his idea to go to the Gentiles in the first place. This is verse 7 through 11. Um, he was sent uh, as a part of God's plan, as a part of God's sovereign plan. He was sent, and he did what God told him to do. He also reminded those listening at the end of verse 9 that even those in the room were cleansed by their faith. And then in verse 10, he pointed out the fact that everyone is a sinner, that we've all messed up, that not a single one of us can fix that on our own. And this is very important to understand that these were Christian leaders. These were folks that were making decisions for the church. They were preaching God's word. They were leading uh, churches into following you know, uh, God's, God's command for their lives. Uh, and, and they had lost sight. Some people had lost sight of where they were before. They lost sight of the before. What happened before they were Christians? What happened before Jesus saved them? And oftentimes as our faith grows older and older, we should mature as a Christian. So maybe you've been a Christian for two years, five years in the room, and, and um, maybe you'll see a difference when you've been a Christian for 40 or 50 years. And that's the way it should work. But the problem is the further down the road we get, from our before, sometimes we lose sight of what it was like uh, before, what, what path we were headed towards uh, before, and we get uh, so deep, so enthralled in our Christian life that we forget where we came from. We also forgot that we are sinners and that we are saved by grace as well. Sometimes we think because of all the great things that we're involved in and all the things that we do, that that is the basis of our salvation. And what we've got to remind ourselves of the gospel is that it's all through grace, uh, by faith. So Peter reminded these religious leaders that we can't bear all of the old covenant on our own, and that's why Jesus came to fulfill the law. There's nothing that we can do uh, to be perfect on our own, and that's why Jesus came. Maybe in the, you're in the room today and you aren't sure what the Christian life is. You're not sure what salvation is is all about. Well, the, the great news today is that we've all had the same kind of thought. We've all wondered, am I a Christian? Am I a follower of Jesus? What is this, this teaching on Jesus all about? How does this work? How do we get into heaven? And the truth is that we deserve death and hell. We deserve to be cursed. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe you mess up every day like I do, or maybe you've like grown a lot more mature, and you're like every other day, every third day. Um, I don't know, maybe that's you, and, and that's awesome, good for you. Uh, God's working on you, but the, the truth is that we've all messed up. We all messed up. We sin continuously, and we need the gospel. We need Jesus uh, to save us and to, and to continue to change us. So Jesus lived a perfect life, and just like in the Old Testament, he was uh, seen as a spotless lamb uh, that they took uh, to be an offering, and he was slaughtered on the cross just like that spotless lamb, and he became... Um, he became that sin uh, for us. He took our sin on himself. He took my curse and he took your curse and he exchanged it for right, righteousness. And when we put our trust into Jesus, God pronounces us just in his sight. He removes the curse from our head and he sees Jesus' righteousness. And that's what happened on the cross was this kind of great exchange that Jesus took our sin and we took his righteousness. And that's what the gospel is all about. That's what saving grace is, is that he has taken on what we deserve so that we can spend eternity in heaven with our creator. 
And so the circumcision that these Jewish Christians are so concerned about was a picture of that curse. It was just a picture of that curse. In essence, the apostles and the elders in this council meeting and and others that were teaching through some of these churches were saying that the atonement of Jesus wasn't good enough to save us, that we needed something else on top of that. There are so many people in our churches and our culture today telling us the same thing as these elders and these apostles and these church leaders is that millions of people trust their own work, they trust their own behavior, they trust everything that they've done in the past to get them into heaven. They trust their own goodness. But people are still taught that all they have to do is make it into heaven is to have a good life. And when you talk to people, I know every time, um, almost every time you talk to someone that's not a Christian and you ask them, how are you going to get into heaven? They say, well, I've been a good person. I've done, I've done good things. I help people. And it doesn't matter how many years you've taught Sunday school. It doesn't matter how many services you've gone to. Uh, those things are not what saves you. Those are great things that we do to serve God, but those are not necessary for salvation. They are not what saves us. So if all this is true, if we can just save ourselves and there's really no need for Jesus, for his sacrifice and for the exchange of our sin, for his righteousness. So Peter showed the council that the real boundary marker between separation from God and salvation is not circumcision. It's really our faith. It's really the grace that God offers through our faith. So just like Peter, we should defend the gospel. We should never emphasize external rituals, but always emphasize internal transformation. So that was Peter's defense. And Paul and Barnabas, they have just one one verse that kind of sum up some of the things, but the council had heard from them quite a bit. Um, God had blessed and used Paul and Barnabas. They've done some pretty amazing things. They've suffered some pretty uh, huge tragedies. They've escaped death uh, at least once. Uh, There are things that they have done, and you can obviously look at their first missionary journey and know that God was walking step in step with what they've done. And then James steps steps up there at the end, and James was recognized. He was like a pillar of, of the Jerusalem church, along with Peter and John. He was somebody that was very, very important, someone that uh, the church leaders looked up to, um, and so what he, had to say, what he had to say really meant a lot. And so James affirms the other's defenses, and he cites Amos to show us that this was God's plan all along. And James argues that since the Gentiles are now turning to the Messiah, just like the prophets foretold, that they shouldn't be burdened with issues of the law. And uh, James ends his defense with an appeal to the Gentiles to avoid some practices that may offend Jewish believers. So his goal was to encourage healthy fellowship. So we see some kind of rules there at the end of this passage of like what he suggests like some of the Gentiles can do in order to, to save that relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. So he was encouraging healthy fellowship. He offers a bit of a, uh, not really a compromise, but really uh, just a way for the, for the Gentiles to come alongside the Jews and, and, uh, and uh, to get along, to have the same uh, different backgrounds but same beliefs, which is not easy. And it's something that's really special about the Christian church. And out of love for their brothers, the Gentiles should avoid certain practices. And those are some things that he lists there at the end. James shows how, as believers, we are to show grace toward other Christians who may be offended by particular practices. And so this is a part of like our everyday life. If you have any friends in your life... Uh, just, just to keep relationships going, sometimes 
uh, you know, there's some give and take. There's things that you won't do and will do and won't say and will say around people in order because you want to you keep your relationship strong, right? And so this is exactly what's going on here. Uh, James' suggestion was wise in the sense that he still upheld the gospel. He upheld the truth. Uh, but he also helped to preserve the fellowship between the Jewish and the Gentile believers. So those were the defenses. So grace was disputed, grace was defended, and then lastly, grace was displayed in verses 22 through 35. So the council loved James's suggestion so much that the apostles, the church leaders, the elders, and the whole church, they decided that they should go back, they should give an, a report to the Gentiles at this council meeting, um, and really encourage those Gentiles uh, that grace was enough. So Acts 15 verses 22 through 35 says this, it says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. Quote, the brothers, both apostles and the leaders and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and have troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we, we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them with you to our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And verse 31, And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words, and after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So the group of men were sent back to Antioch, sent back to the, Jew, uh, the Gentile, new Gentile believers with an encouraging letter, an encouraging message from the Jerusalem council. And the super, this is, this is it, a uh, super simplified summary um, I wrote that and then realized it was so hard to say. Uh, super, super, okay, I won't even try. Uh, the, summary is, the summary is that after discussion and debate, the church leaders have come to the conclusion that grace through faith is sufficient for salvation. So this is kind of a happy ending, right? This is what everyone wanted. Uh, if there were a different ending, we may not be sitting here today. The, the, the church may have taken a whole different path. And so this is a very important uh, this is a very important event in, a, in the history of the church. Um, they also included some minor rules that were there to help fellowship between believers of differing backgrounds. And sometimes this is kind of hard to understand, kind of hard to explain, um, that these rules were suggestions and how Christians are to be sensitive to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, one example that was included was eating meat offered to idols and and Romans uh, expanded on it a little more. Paul explains a little more detail. Romans 14, 20 through 21 says, Do not fear, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble 
by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. To stumble. So basically the question of meat offered to idols is neither here nor there. It's not a, it's not a, a great thing to do. It's not a, a horrible thing to do. Uh, but the, the reality is if it's something that causes your brother to stumble, then we shouldn't do it. And so um, what does that look like in today's culture? Because uh, we don't have many uh, idols laying around that we offer meat to. So what does that look like? And I, I came across kind of a story of, uh, of a guy that was in, in college. He played a lot of ping pong. Um, I love ping pong. I had a ping pong table in my college dorm. I had a friend actually that I knew of that played too much ping pong and fell into the same category. So I just want to read you kind of exactly uh, what this says, and it will help explain, us, explain to us a little bit about how we are to not make our brothers stumble. So... Years ago, a college friend of mine fell in love with ping pong. There was a ping pong table in one of the dorms, and he spent hours each day. He was obsessed with it to the point that it ate into his study time. It began to affect his grades. And one day, he came to me and came to me about it in an earnest state of uh, repentance. And he said, "The Spirit of God has convicted me that it's a sin for me to play ping pong." And at that point in his life, playing ping pong had become sinful for him because it was bad stewardship. However, that doesn't mean that there isn't there is anything inherently evil about playing ping pong. So even something simple as playing ping pong uh, took over this other guy's life, and it, and it made it to the point that he was failing his classes, that he wasn't being a good steward of his time and of his resources. And so for him, playing ping pong had become a sin. So please understand that these early Christians are trying to say that there is sin. Sin is real. There are some things that are always sinful, but there's other things. Uh, that may be sinful to individuals. Uh, like something as silly as playing ping pong, uh, something in their time uh, as important really as offering meat to idols, and what do we do with that? Um, it may not be sinful for, for us, but to them it has become something that is leading them in the wrong direction. And that's exactly what was happening in this, this uh, early church, is that offering meat to idols, some of these other things that weren't... Um, or eating the meat offered to idols that, that weren't necess- inherently wrong in and of themselves uh, became something that was a stumbling block. Um, so there are things that we can take from the Jerusalem Council. One is about Christian truth and the other is about Christian love. And so, f- number one, we must never abandon the gospel of grace. We must never abandon the gospel of grace. We must always remember exactly what the gospel is, and that is that grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is how, how we have salvation. Salvation uh, is apart from the works of law, from the works of the law. Uh, we follow the law uh, because we are good, uh, be, being obedient to God, uh, but it is not required for the actual salvation. And we must never bend on this truth. Jesus' work is sufficient, and we can rest in the fact that His grace saved us and we should proclaim that to the world and then the second thing is that we must lovingly preserve the unity of the body if we don't get along if we're not um, getting along within the four walls of the church we're never going to be able to reach our neighborhood our community our workplaces so there's going to be times in our lives where we choose to do something just so that we can maintain a peaceful social interaction uh, with others So let's model Paul as we go through our lives, be an iron pillar, immovable, unchangeable on the things of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. But let's be charitable, understanding, and understanding to others regarding the non-essentials 
of our faith, for the good of the church, for the advancement of the gospel, and for the glory of Jesus. And so we see that the, the grace, the, uh, the idea of grace alone was disputed, it was defended, but ultimately grace itself was displayed to the Gentiles, and here we are today in the local church. So uh, we're about to close. Uh, if, if you want to, you can come forward. There's, there's places to pray. There'll be pastors up here to accept, uh, to talk to you, to pray with you, whatever's going on in your life. Um, if you're here today and you haven't made Jesus the boss of your life and, and you feel that God is calling you to that, we'd love to help you with that. You can contact us. You can come down here. You can contact us afterward. Uh, we'd love to do that with you. So the band's going to play through just one more song, and as we do, uh, that's your time to, to respond. Maybe through scripture, uh, you have seen uh, something, uh, a way to apply this to your life. And uh, maybe um, through scripture has changed the way that you've seen things. And uh, the challenge is, are you willing to leave here changed by God's word? Are you willing to defend the essentials of our faith and flex on the non-essentials? So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to pray for you. So if you'll go ahead and stand, I'll close us in prayer. And then we'll have a chance to respond. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for Jesus. Lord, I thank you for grace. I thank you, uh, Father, that you have taken on our sin. And that uh, when we believe, when we have faith in you, that, that God sees righteousness. And that's all because of Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in this room that needs to respond by faith to your grace, Lord, that you would call them uh, today. Lord, I do also pray, Lord, that as we leave this room today and as we go out into our communities, into our workplaces and our households, Lord, if there are things that non-essential elements of our faith that we need to flex on, Father, I pray that you would convict us of that. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would be Christians that love the world and love other Christians and we do the best that we can to reach them with the message of the gospel. Lord, that you have saved us through grace, uh, by grace, through faith in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would be ready to defend that in a loving way. And Lord, that you can use us in a mighty way as we leave here today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.